I just checked. There's actually 127 women already signed up for the Christmas lunch. So, it's not a breakfast. So not a breakfast. It's a lunch. So uh, make sure you go and uh, sign up because from what I hear, there might be a cap on how many people we can have attend that event just because of the space. So go sign up. Do it today in the women's lunch and confirm the time of what it is. Um, but let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I've really enjoyed going through the book of 1 Thessalonians here on Sunday mornings. I have found this letter to be very applicable to my life. And I pray that it's been the same for you. And we're going to be continuing today to see God's truth revealed to us in and through the scriptures. Because, you know, the Bible is God's unchanging, timeless truth. It has all things pertaining to life and godliness. And it's instructive for both the individual believer and for the church as a whole. And I think that this, this book, First Thessalonians, I think it sets some vision, some markers for the kind of church that we desire to be. And so I just want to remind you today of a really special verse that has just been near to my heart as we've been going through this book. We, we looked at it last week. It's in chapter 2, in verse 13. And I want to read it to you again, just as a reminder as we're entering into this teaching this morning of who we're hearing from, that we're hearing from God's word. So this is what it says. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. And so we've gathered here again this morning on this Sunday to open God's word. And I just want to ask you as well, as you're here, to come and, and hear the teaching of God's word, that you also would be asking the Lord to open up your heart to open up your mind to the things that God would want to speak to you because you're not going to be merely hearing me today as I teach. You're going to be hearing from the Lord because his word is being proclaimed to us. And so um, let's get right into it. Let's get into the teaching of God's word. We're going to start at verse one. And uh, as you probably have seen the, the pace that we've set going through this book, we're covering a chapter a week. And so we're going to cover all of chapter three today. And so uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts. Lord, we, we would uh, lay ourselves bare before you, Lord, that you would be able to see us and examine us and search us by your word. And I pray, God, for every hearer of the word, Lord, would not simply be a hearer, but a doer. God, they would take the things they hear today, and they would go seek to live them out in your grace and by your power. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, we're beginning this morning at verse 1 with that first word that says, therefore. And any students of the Bible know that if the Bible says, therefore, you have to ask what question? What's it there for? Exactly. So it's a transition statement. What we want to be reminded of is what has previously come from this letter. What has Paul been saying and how does that prepare him for what he's about to say here? And you remember that it was Paul the apostle who had started the church in Thessalonica 
during his second missionary journey when he went through the region of Macedonia, uh, northern Greece, preaching the gospel. And yet that mission trip was not easy, right? Not, not by any sense of the word. We remember that when they went to Philippi, they were beaten and imprisoned there. And then they went there, from there to Thessalonica, and they were only able to stay there three weeks until they were chased off by a jealous mob. And then that jealous mob followed them to Berea, and they were chased out of that city as well. They went from there to the city of Athens, and then eventually arrived in Corinth, which is the city from where Paul wrote this letter to the church that was in Thessalonica. But be, before Paul sent a letter we see here that he sent a person. He sent Timothy, who was a young pastor who worked alongside the Apostle Paul. And Timothy was sent from Athens, it says, back to Thessalonica to see how the new believers were doing there. He also says here that he went so that he could help establish and exhort them in their new faith. Now, we've already seen in this letter that Timothy came back to Paul and was able to give a good report of how the church was doing well. And praise God for that, right? We've already seen that, but, but what we're going to see today is Paul continuing to exhort them as they are enduring through persecution. They had faced, upon the reception of the word of God, they had been persecuted for their new faith in Jesus. Yet they received that with joy in the Holy Spirit, and Paul was so glad about that. He was commending them for their genuine faith, love, and hope, which was being talked about everywhere. And so Paul says here in verse 1, how hard it was, though, in that period of time where he didn't know how the believers in Thessalonica were doing. You know, Paul couldn't just log on to his Facebook or Instagram and check out his old friends that he had visited. If you wanted to see people and see how they were doing, you had to go and travel. Uh, and some of that travel could be very difficult and costly and would require personal sacrifice. And we know some of the travels of Paul he, he lists, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, many of the, the sufferings and sacrifices that he had to make in order to be a missionary. He had been in shipwrecks. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had many sleepless nights, at times being adrift at sea, bitten by snakes on the island of Malta, all kinds of things that happened to Paul. However, one of the things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, in that list of the sufferings and the sacrifices that he, he went through as a missionary of the gospel, look at what he says. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul put that together with beatings and imprisonments was that constant concern and emotional turmoil that I feel within my soul, wondering how the churches are doing. And so Paul, we see, just had that pastoral heart, that longing desire in his heart to know that the church would be thriving in Jesus. And so when Paul couldn't go, because we saw in chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan had hindered him from visiting he was then able to send Timothy. And, and notice how Timothy is described here uh, in these first verses. It says that he is their brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. I, I love this fact, this, this sort of character trait of Timothy. Yes, he was, 
He was a brother in Christ to Paul and Silas. Yes, he was a co-worker in the gospel to those other missionaries, but did you notice what it says there? That Timothy is God's co-worker in the gospel. You know, Christians, do we understand that? That you are God's co-worker. Now, I have to say, you know, for some of you, you probably have some, some co-workers where you're pretty thankful that God is also your coworker because of the difficulty that you have to deal with some people. And, and so I just pray that you see it that way. I pray that you would understand that God is with you in the works that you do. And wherever you go this week, whether it's to work or to school, or, or for many of us, we're going to be gathering with people uh, in our homes for Thanksgiving, and you might be gathering with some people who who might have some hostility towards you for the gospel, and, and you need to remember that I am God's coworker, that you are not alone in the work that you do for the sake of Jesus Christ, that he is with you. And so Timothy is God's coworker, and he had a wonderful visit there in Thessalonica where he was able to establish and exhort the church there. We know that Timothy was able to return back to Paul with the good news of the church's well-being. And so we, we know that this brought quite a sense of relief to the heart of Paul. So that's what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. We'll see Paul's response now to the encouraging report that he had heard back from Timothy. So let's start at the top again. Let's start in verse 1. And we're going to read down to verse 5 and see what Paul says here. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, Paul understood two things, two really important things as he thought about this church. Even before receiving this report about the condition of the church, he knew first that if a jealous mob had persecuted him and chased him all the way to Berea and driven him out of that city, then that same mob would have gone back to Thessalonica and persecuted those new believers in Jesus. Paul also knew that if Satan was hindering him because of his work in the gospel, then Satan would also be hindering these new believers who would only received the teachings of Paul for three weeks. These are three-week-old Christians. Just think about that. Three-week-old Christians undergoing the threat of both physical and spiritual persecution. I think this is what had Paul so concerned, right? This is what caused him to desperately desire to know how the church was doing. Yet in verse 3, Paul says, when we sent Timothy to you, we made sacrifices for that. He says, so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. 
All right. Now, in this room, we have a lot of Christians. And some of you may have been following Jesus for 50 years. Who's been following Jesus in here for 50 years? Right there, I see you. Right over there, back there. Praise God. Now, some of you may have been following Jesus for five years. Others of you maybe for five weeks or even five days. And my prayer is that today there might be some here who will walk out of this church and you will experience what it is like to be a believer in Jesus Christ and you will experience the first five minutes of being a follower of Christ. So whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or five years, five days, or after today, five minutes, I want you to know what your destiny is. Do you know what your destiny is, Christian? Well, first, we are destined for heaven, aren't we? That is our eternal dwelling place where we will go to be with Jesus. Whether that happens when we die or he comes back first, heaven is our destiny. And a person to go to heaven believes in who Jesus is and what he has done on a cross for us, how he was risen from the dead. And if you confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And if you put faith in Jesus, you receive the grace of God and that's salvation, and your destiny is eternal life. But did you notice here that there's another destiny that is talked about? That we are destined for affliction. See, when a person gets saved, God doesn't just immediately whisk them away to heaven. There's going to come a day, which we'll learn about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 next week, where something like that will happen. But when you get saved in Jesus Christ, you stay here in this world. And you quickly learn, because, right, your eyes get open to the kingdom of God. And you begin to see the world for what it really is. And when your eyes get open to what the world really is, you quickly find out that the world is not a friend of Jesus' followers. And perhaps you experienced that when you first got saved and you came home to tell your family about what happened to you, and immediately they scoffed at you. Perhaps you came to Jesus and you began to see the transformations and changes that God was bringing into your life, and then your friends stopped calling you and stopped inviting you to things. Perhaps your job was affected when you first came to Christ because you could no longer do the things that your boss was asking you to do because you answered to the Lord first now. And, and so there's many ways that when we come to Christ, we might experience, or I shouldn't say might, we will experience afflictions. In fact, Jesus made this promise that persecution will come upon all those who follow him. He said this in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. We like that part. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And, and when Jesus saved Paul... This is what he said about the life that Paul was being called into. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 through 16, Jesus says, but, but the Lord said to him, 
Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul made sure to communicate this promise of persecution to his disciple Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul told him, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The apostle Peter even understood this, right, as a guarantee of following Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, the apostle says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So I could could just go through the scriptures. I could show you countless other places that speak to the reality that when you become a follower of Jesus, you will endure through suffering, affliction, persecution, tribulation, trials, testing, etc. This this life that we have been called into is a life with Jesus. We now have fellowship with the suffering servant. We now share in his persecution. Jesus said, you know it, right? That a servant is not greater than his master. That if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. So if you want to follow Jesus, you must consider what, what it's going to cost you in this life. Now, now, I don't want this to just be a whole downer day because we understand that great is the eternal reward for those who do follow Jesus and remain faithful. That's why Paul can say these words in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction. Do you think being beaten, imprisoned, and stoned, and left for dead is light and momentary afflictions? But by comparison, he's saying, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In light of eternity, it was nothing. And he said this in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, Paul understood that what he was gaining in Jesus, in God's eternal kingdom, was so much better than what he would ever gain in this world. Because what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? It's better to live a life that might require sacrifice, that might require suffering if we gain Christ in his kingdom. And so Paul said to Timothy, sent Timothy, right, to establish and exhort these afflicted believers. They had been going through it, even just in the first three weeks of following Jesus. And he says, I've written these things, I've sent Timothy to, the, to you so that you would not be moved by afflictions. That word moved comes from the idea of how a dog wags its tail really fast. Any of you guys have pets, you go home and your dog gets really excited and you know, whipping its tail all over the place. 
and it speaks to the kind of turbulence that can often happen in life and how we need to hold fast and hang on. You know, that, that little, you know, flea on the end of the dog's tail is just like holding on for dear life, right? <laughs> and, 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 and so we need to understand, Christians, right, that, that we shouldn't be surprised when difficulties and trials and pains come into our life because, because we are destined for this. You know, sometimes I counsel believers and, and, and tell, you know, people come and say, you know, I'm really going through something really hard right now, and, and I'll, I'll listen to the things that people are facing, and I, I always want to listen with compassion, I always want to listen with grace, and I want to give wisdom from the scriptures of how people are going to be able to endure through whatever trial they're going through, whatever pain might be able to grow them in order to have a stronger and more lasting faith and hope in Jesus Christ. But, but sometimes, as, as I hear sometimes people saying what they're going through, I kind of just want to respond like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, been through that too, right? Yep, you're having a real difficult time with people who aren't believers and don't understand the decisions that you're making. Yep, <laughs> welcome to following Jesus, but like, like, what did we expect so that we wouldn't be moved by these afflictions? So friends, if, if you don't already know it, following Jesus means that you will suffer affliction. It's your destiny. The Bible says it again and again. And so we need to understand that what Paul was inviting people into, he wasn't inviting people into an easy life. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ to them and he communicated to them their calling beforehand because, because being a believer in Jesus is the best life. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. I love Jesus and I love following him with my life. It, to me, it is much more of a, of a filling and rewarding life than if I were to choose a life of self and sin. I love following Jesus, and it is the best life. But, but it costs me things, and it's not always easy. So if you're going to follow Jesus, get used to saying no to your flesh and not following all of your sinful passions. Get used to feeling alienated from the world and you know, not engaging in what everyone else is doing. Get used to the devil constantly attacking you and trying to tempt you away from God. Because you know it says in verse five, for this reason when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul understood, and you should understand, that on a daily basis, we deal with the flesh, the world, and the devil. These are the enemies of your soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Talk about pressure. And, and that's, in fact, what the word affliction means. It means pressure. Constantly 
pushing upon us in order that we would be conformed to the image of the world rather than being conformed to the image of Jesus. But Jesus in his mercy and his grace is helping us to grow in faith and to stay close to him and to look like him. And he gives us all of the tools, including the whole armor of God, in order that we could stand firm in Jesus Christ and resist the devil. Right? Amen. And and, and if we haven't read Ephesians 6 recently, go read it and be reminded of the whole armor of God that we need to be constantly wearing from head to toe if we have any shot at resisting the enemy of our souls. And so Paul was keenly aware of his spiritual adversary, Satan, who is also called here the tempter. It was Satan who hindered Paul from visiting the church in Thessalonica. It was Satan who had tried to shake these new believers by sowing affliction. And Jesus taught us this parable about the sower sowing his seeds of the word of God. And Jesus taught us in that parable that there is an enemy who is always trying to snatch away the word of God before it takes root in your hearts. And I actually want to read this parable, and I want you to listen very closely, that you would be a hearer today who would understand and receive, again, that these are not my words that are being spoken today. These are God's very words. And are you hearing them? Are you receiving them? Do you intend on going and doing them? Because Jesus said in this parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 through 23, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's the devil who comes and tries to pull away the seed before it ever takes a root in your heart. This is what is sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is the soil we would all desire to have. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now, I have no doubt in my mind that the Apostle Paul would have thought about this parable when he had those deep concerns about the church in Thessalonica. He would have been praying to the Lord, Lord, are they going to be like that path where the tempter is going to come and snatch that word away from their hearts? Will they be like the rocky ground where where they had so much joy those first three weeks when I was with them preaching the gospel to them, but now that there is persecution that has come upon them, is it going to be too much for them to bear and that they're going to fall away? But how blessed the Apostle Paul was to find out that they indeed 
had received the word of God upon good soil and that they were producing fruit, that there was the fruit of faith and love and hope coming from their lives. And so friends, what kind of soil are you? What is the condition of your heart? And I preach this word to you today to find out. I know what kind of soil I want to be in, and I labor in the word to see his word fall upon the soil of my heart and prove faithfulness. And so as the word is going out today, it's like sowing seed, and it's falling upon all of your hearts right now, but what is going to be the condition of your heart? I pray it's strong, I pray it's steadfast, I pray it would bear fruit, and I pray that his word would take root in your heart and then it would be at work in you as you believe it. James 1, chapter, James 1 verse 21 to 25 describes exactly how this happens. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. See, there's repentance involved with this. That we put away the things that keep us from God's word. You know, I've often said this to people. Um, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. Right? I didn't come up with that. that, that was, that's an age-old-ism thing. Um, but it's so true. And when God's word comes into our life, we say, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and look at this, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen? And so this church in Thessalonica had persevered in their doing of the word of God that they had received from Paul, but they knew it was not merely Paul's words, but that it was God's very word, and that it was the word of God that had taken effect in these believers' lives. And therefore, in the remainder of the chapter, we're gonna see the report of faith that these believers had. Look at verses six through 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord." For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So I can just imagine Paul waiting to hear back from Timothy. And as soon as Timothy would have arrived, Paul would have been asking the questions, how are they? Are they good? Are they still meeting together? Are they reading the scriptures? Are they worshiping Jesus? Are they taking of communion? Are, are they continuing in the things that we taught them? How's their joy? 
I know that they're going through some affliction, but are they remaining faithful? Are they still waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as we told them it would be? And with a big smile on his face, face, Timothy would have been able to say, yes, Paul, they're doing well. Now, was the church perfect? Uh, Let me ask you, church, is there ever been a perfect church? No. In fact, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. (laughs) Right? But in every way that it counted for, the church in Thessalonica was well. And Timothy was able to bring the good news about their faith and love. And remember that their faith was a working faith. Their love was a laboring love. And that's what had people talking all throughout Macedonia, all throughout Achaia. People were talking about their faith and their love. And so Paul and Silas wished that they could have seen their brothers and sisters in the Lord, but it was good enough to hear about them through Timothy. And look at how it said that it brought them great comfort and joy. And I'm sure you guys all know how uncomfortable it feels when you find out about a brother or sister in Christ who isn't doing well in the Lord. Isn't that just the worst? Paul had a few of those reports and he was happy that this wasn't the case here, but he says in verse eight, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So what that would mean conversely then for Paul, that would mean that if they were not standing fast in the Lord, that would have felt like dying. See, when Paul would have, he- would have heard of a church or a believer who had fallen away from the faith or, or he heard how the love of some believers had grown cold for Jesus, that killed Paul. Does it kill you to hear about people who you once walked in close fellowship with who are no longer walking with the Lord? I think it's one of the things that really is sometimes depressing around this seasons because we come into contact with people that we know and we love and it hurts us. It pains us to know that they're not where we know they could be with the Lord. And that's why Paul was so exuberant to find out that their faith was steady and strong. So in verses 9 through 10, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul was feeling so joyful, so happy that a good report was heard. But you know, when, when Paul received that good report, he's like, well, they're doing good, so um, I guess I don't need to worry about them anymore, you know? And just sort of moved on, never gave a thought to the church in Thessalonica anymore. <laughs> like, no way. And he says, all the more, Paul was ready most earnestly to pray night and day for that church. E- even with a visit from Timothy, Paul still wanted to see them face to face. And, and so you see Paul's heart is that he cared for his fellow man. He cared for those believers, not just when things were not going well, but even when things were going well. Paul prayed for them constantly, even when things were going good. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we only pray to God when things are going bad, when things aren't well. But Paul says here, all the more, most earnestly to pray even when things are going well. 
And then he says, when I come to you and I see you face to face, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. And and I don't think that the church in Thessalonica would have taken offense to that because aren't we all lacking in faith? Can't we all have our faith filled in overflowing to greater measure? You know, Paul's going to say in the next chapter, I've heard about you and your church, how you are such a loving bunch of people. And I I happen to think that our church fits that mold, that we're a pretty loving bunch of people. But Paul was able to say, you are loving well. You're loving all the saints and all the the believers and and all people. You have great love for them. And Paul's going to say, but do it more. Do it more, because we should always be seeking for more, more faith, more love, more hope. Now let's read these final verses of this chapter where it says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So Paul has been making his heart known to the church. He's saying, grow more in faith, love, and hope. He is exhorting them. He is establishing them in the faith. Now, in the last three weeks as we've been going through this book, um, I like to teach the Bible where I touch on every verse as best as I possibly can. But when I have come to the last verses of each chapter, I've sort of just like left them and not really explained them. And and I want to go back and I want to read the last verse of each chapter with you. And I want you to listen and see what the common theme is among them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And then in this chapter, he says in verse 13, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Do you see the common thread throughout those three verses? They all speak to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That he came once and he suffered and died on a cross in our place for our sins. And he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. He appeared to many witnesses with many proofs showing himself to be alive, and then he ascended back into heaven where he is there right now living to make intercession for us. But there's a coming a day when Jesus is going to come back again, where he's going to come and he's going to want to learn about your faith. He's going to want to come and find out, do you believe in me? And that day will come like a thief in the night. And so Jesus said, always be ready, always be prepared for him to come. And when he comes, what sort of faith will he find in you? Have you been waiting for the coming of Christ? Now, I think it's pretty simple, but sometimes people ask, well, how do you prepare for the second coming of Jesus? I'll tell you how to prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Believe and trust in his first coming. 
that if you look to Jesus now, as John, in John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus said, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So have you looked to Jesus? Have you looked upon the Son of God who was crucified for your sins and rose from the dead? Have you come into fellowship with him, which is a fellowship into the best life, but is also called into a fellowship of suffering with Christ? Have you said yes to the grace of God? Have you received it by faith? And are you waiting for the coming of Jesus? So whether you die or he comes back first, you will know that you know that you know that your soul is well. And so these are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Really just one question, how is my soul today? Is it well? If Jesus were to come back today, what would he find with my soul? And all he's looking for, friend, is that you have looked upon him with faith. Amen? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. And God, I pray that every person in this room who has been able to understand what has been spoken today, that they would understand that they are sinners that are separated from a holy God unless they come to Jesus in faith. And I pray that every person who has heard about the faith that can be placed in Jesus would place that faith in him today. So whether there are some who have been following Jesus for 50 years and they need to be strengthened in this trying time, or whether somebody's gonna walk out of this church today and the first five minutes is gonna be the first five minutes of eternal life with Jesus. But God, wherever we're at, and we're all in process, God, I pray that you would Help us all to hear and understand that it is only through Jesus that we can say those words, it is well with my soul. And if there's anyone here today and you want to say yes to Jesus today, you want to be able to go out of this church today and say, my soul is saved in Jesus Christ. I've heard the word of God. I want to respond to it in faith today. Would you just raise your hand so I could know to pray for you this week? Because as you would go out, I see you back there, brother. As you will go out this week, it'll be, a, it'll be a different world. Your eyes will be open to the life that Jesus now offers you. And so I'll be praying for you, brother, as you go out this week. Is there anyone else who wants to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior today? All right. I see you right there. I love it. Praise God. Well, if you said yes to Jesus today, you get to walk out of here today in new life. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed, and behold, he says, I make all things new. And so he's given you a new life today for you to walk in, and he's gonna give you the power and the strength and the grace to now live in that life. So we've got a new brother and a new sister in Jesus Christ today. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Well, let's worship together. We're gonna stand and sing this final song, and if you need prayer, especially if you're going through a trying time right now where you feel that pressure, that affliction, and you just need, uh, you need some prayer. Right over here to the sides, we've got people who are ready and willing to pray for you. Let's worship and sing our hearts to the Lord.